Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Katie Bella Show.
December 18th, 2015. That was the new Kitty Bella show opening. Ow, the girl in the gold mask by tonight's special guest, Sydney Chase, featuring Kitty Bella show consultant, Dee Welcome to the Kitty Bella Show. Please go to the Facebook page at the Kitty Bella Show and like our page, please. Also, keep up on Twitter using the hashtag, hashtag the Kitty Bella Show, hashtag TKBS. Tweet something you hear, something you like, something you want to say. We follow back and retweet as well. Make sure you go to our blog talk page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Kitty Bella Show and see who's coming up on our upcoming shows as well as catch up with our already over 35 podcasted shows. For your listening pleasure. This is a groundbreaking show on Blog Talk Radio. We talk about all kinds of issues here, centering the lives of trans and gender nonconforming people of color in our conversations. We also talk about things not necessarily related to our trans. Our lives are about so much more. We will talk about all these facets. Tonight we have the most audacious, Sydney Chase. She is a 23-year-old singer, writer, music producer, and spiritualist from the Midwest. Sydney makes up half of the rock duo, Tiny Spot. She's also contributed writing to publications such as the Huffington Post, Locker Dome, and Everyday Feminism. Her debut feature, Ling Film, is currently in pre-production, in which she is slated to star in and direct. Uh, that's supposed to be 2015 in the winter. We will talk about that as well. So tonight we will go straight to our guests, and Sydney and I will dish on some hot topics. Call in if you have something to say and something to share. Please call in at 347-237-4756. Sydney and I will be taking phone calls, and we will dish on pop culture, music, and politics. Sydney has some really cool grungy songs on iTunes. I know, because I spent part of the morning downloading a few of her songs. And please, go to iTunes if you can and support her. Um, That was one of those songs, as you just heard, called The Girl in the Gold Mask. So without further ado, I'm going to bring Sydney right on. Sydney, where are you? Welcome, Miss Sydney Chase. Let's give you some applause. Where's your applause, girl? Oh my God! <laughs> hey, Kitty Bella Show. Hey, I can't find my applause. How are you? Oh, here we go. Good. Oh. <laughs> I like that. I gotta get me one of those. Right, it's just that kind of a show. Welcome, Sydney. How are you? Good, how are you? Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. I can hear you. Sorry, I just got my little earpiece in. Right, I have mine in, too. Oh, my God, I'm so excited. We already have some amazing people listening. Dane Aditi is listening. Elizabeth Marie Rivera is listening in. Right. 
So I'm really excited to get into this conversation with you. How are you? How was your day? Yes. Oh, it was so good. I uh, I had to read my lead in my movie, and I just kind of relaxed and just some self-love and self-care today and just kind of spent today just, you know, in my space and, you know, feel nice and warmed up and ready to have some good, deep, soulful conversations on the Katie Bella Show. Absolutely. You just mentioned the new movie. Can you tell us a little bit about that as much as you can about this new project? Yeah, well, I've been uh, I've been kind of keeping it quiet. A, uh, I guess I'm playing a mm-hmm. a, a uh, <laughs> I'm playing an assassin uh, who gets hired by. A, I keep kind of comparing him to uh, Jesse from Breaking Bad. He's just sort of this like you know thinks he's a bad boy uh, drug dealer, and he uh, has to kill these five shady drug heads in 24 hours. But he can't do it, so he hires her, and so my character kind of has to guide this misogynist through this uh, life or death situation, and it's just—it's really fun. I, I mean, I'm really excited. Our lead coming out, flying out from Chicago to shoot, and we're shooting everything in Oklahoma, in uh, you know, in the Midwestern soil. So, wow, that sounds really, really exciting, Sydney. Um, while there's so much I want to get into in that, just the aspect of you being in a film where uh, trans identity is not at the center of the movie. Yeah, well, well, I think it's important for people to see trans people as people, too, you know? I think in... I think to see that we're people, we're people first, and that trans is one of our main intersections, you know. And uh, so I think all of those intersections need to be dialogues need to happen there, you know. Um, so that's what's fun about this movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is this your first movie? Have you? What are some of the other projects that you like? Film projects that you've done before? Yeah, this is this is actually my first movie. We directed our own music videos for uh, my band Siamese Spot, uh, and uh, we we actually just spent some time building. And we just uh, we just spent some time building some cranes and some film equipment for the movie. So this is technically my first time uh, starring and directing, but. So many people have come out volunteering and, and their time and their efforts and uh, their talent and just so many beautifully talented people have uh, set their time aside to help me with this, knowing that we're struggling trans independent filmmakers and that we just have a vision and we want to show the world that trans women can create and we can tell our own stories and be in charge of our own narratives. Not enough of us are given that opportunity. So, you know, I went out and created it and I, I encourage other, other trans people and uh, to just get out there and, and tell their story at whatever capacity that is, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you just mentioned uh, you're part of the group Shiny Spot. Can you tell the listeners who may not be familiar with the group um, a little bit about the group and what is in store for the group? What is going on? Well, um, Shiny Spots consists of me and my partner Talia, uh, who is also trans. We've been together for a little over a year. And, um, wait a minute. Both... So are you... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you mean to tell me <laughs> that trans people do not only find love with cis people? Yes, it's the craziest thing. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, my gosh, you would never believe it. 
And, uh, you know, we, we actually we even went over to TCC at the local college campus. We were answering questions the panel there. And someone was asking us, uh, you know, what – how, how do you guys? Uh, how are you guys relationships? So you're you're lesbians now, or how does that work? Oh but, my god! You know, I was like, it's really pretty simple. You know, we watch Netflix and uh, you know make make bad pasta and sometimes good pasta, and <laughs> we're uh, we're just just fun as any straight couple, I would say. <laughs> oh my god! I can't with the basics. Oh, yeah. So what is the <laughs> as far as current projects go with Simon Spot? Um, yeah, we're we're working on our debut album. We're recording everything at home. Uh, Talia, my partner, is a guitarist. He writes, he records, and produces as well. And I um, am writing and playing on the record. And we're both sort of just contributing uh, our our ideas to the mix. And um, other than that, we're hoping to maybe get on the road and tour next year after the movie's done, and um, I don't know, see what's up from there, but we just love playing music, and I don't know, we don't really see ourselves um, doing anything specific, but if a label or something comes, holler, you know, but, <laughs> I mean, hey, I just, I like, I like doing music, I like, I like playing, I like reaching out, and uh, I don't know, I think it's so important for, you know, I know when I was little, I didn't have a lot of trans musicians to look up to, and I know, like, I think the little boys and girls need to see that they can be musicians and rock stars, and they can they can do what they want to do and not be told no. Um, Absolutely. I, 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 was, I was afraid, you know, and so Siamese Spots is a cool outlet for that. Shout out to the callers on the line. I see a few of you. Shout out. Um, we will be with you shortly, and we will be taking calls. Sydney, they are Yay. calling on the line for you. So excited. Um, me too. So you grew up in a small town, like you just mentioned. Can you briefly just tell us what that experience was like, especially like you just said, um, being a person who happens to be trans, who is into music, and had all this artistic uh, energy and, and brilliance. Um, what was that like, growing up in a small town? Where did you grow up? Like, tell our listeners, just for those who don't know. Yeah, I grew up in a small suburban town called Broken Arrow. It's really, you know, my dad was a chimney sweep. We, we kind of had a very modest, uh, you know, coming up. Uh, my mom was kind of a junker, and, you know, so we, we just kind of made do and, and made our way by. And uh, growing up in this town, it's funny because people in uh, in Tulsa, being a trans person living in a town like Oklahoma, or living in a state like Oklahoma, it's so conservative and so red, but actually people are very just to themselves and they're conservative in that nature that they're very independent. So people were actually fairly uh, nice to me as far as that goes. But, um, you know, I think growing up in this kind of town also, they, you know, they don't really take kindly to, uh, you know, to gay folks and things sometimes. And it's tough coming up in a small town, but at the same time, you know, the, this town has grown and I've grown with it. And I've been amazed at the love I've got from this small town. Um, you know, people here have all, all kinds of gestures. Um, it blows my mind, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's wonderful to hear. Because normally when people, when folks talk about uh, small town, and especially a lot of uh, trans and gender non-conforming people, uh, especially of color, um, that come from these small towns, it's usually of... Uh, 
just the experience is usually not so good. So it's good to hear that there are uh, some small towns here in America that are, I guess, in a way sort of, I don't, I don't know, is progressive a right word to use? Yeah, I mean, I think they're on their way. They're on their way. You know, it's still rough, but I think people hear their intention and their heart. They want to be better. They want to be more progressive and intersectional. I think they're just, you know, they they don't need, they don't have the tools. Uh, you know, there there a lot of people are are not given the tools they need to uh, really be the kind of people they want to be here. I think people are still put in a box that's very uh, of a certain time and age and. You know, uh, everyone here kind of has that that struggle for independence in the Midwest. Absolutely. What were some of your musical influences, um, current and past? Oh man, I grew up just listening to all kinds of stuff. I mean, when I was a kid, I grew up. My my mom just built the house with Motown. I mean, I love Al Green, mm. Commodores, mm. Um, mm. you know, Rufus. We we just we kind of had a, a whole blend of stuff growing up and. Uh, as I got kind of older and got into my own vibe, I really got into like Lauren Hill, uh, you know, Jill Scott, um, John Coltrane. I got into jazz. I, I went to Blake Performing Arts School uh, in Tampa, Howard W. Blake, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually a uh, it was a, it was originally a black school, all black school in the 1960s, and it was uh, brought back in the 90s, remodeled, and they put an arts program in the middle of this school. And uh, and I actually got a I got to go there uh, for about three years straight and um, mm-hmm. I majored in guitar there and it was amazing I mean I absolutely loved it um, so yeah from there I mean everything you know all the kind of influences I had especially classical influences as well so but I really grew up in a very R and B household. So it would be safe to say that uh, a large part of your influence has been from black uh, artists who black music makers. Is that correct? Oh, ab- ab- absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, and I think it's really critical for it's what's well, critical for us to also recognize like where uh, where all this comes from. Um, you know, and I, I think for me, especially growing up in, in a mixed household. Um, I had a little bit of everything, you know, my dad was a really big Journey fan, and so, you know, I was, like, kind of always staggering musical styles, but, you know, especially, I think there's been a lot of black musicians that have inspired me and my style, that definitely. Absolutely, Sydney. Um, I was wondering, so, as you just heard, the introduction of Kitty Bella's show is the new theme song. Aren't you so excited? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm so honored. Right. Oh, my God. I love it. It's something about uh, Coco Jones uh, previously, last year, uh, her song, uh, Who's That Lady, off her EP. And those of you who don't know who Coco Jones is, Google her, please. Um, Coco Jones, (laughs) a uh, musical artist who happens to be trans in the community. She's an activist, educator, just a tremendous uh, sister who uh, is part of T-Walk. Coco, uh, her song, her EP, was the theme song for the Kibella show. And so for me, it just made sense to have another artist who happens to be trans. And, like, this for me is what it's about. Like, if I'm going to have a show, like, of course I want a trans woman artist. I want her music to lead the show. Like, come on. Like, isn't this what it's about? 
but I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. No, I think that's but, awesome. I mean, I just love it. I love it. <laughs> but tell our audience, that, in fact, what I was getting at with that point was, can you tell our audience the concept behind the song and who is also in the song? You know, I want you to talk about Vita. <laughs> and, um, yes, but, yes, yes. What kind of music is this? Janeer, is this would be considered? So I'm sort of asking you two questions in one. But sure. Thank you, got it. Um, <laughs> well, uh, this genre, I've kind of been calling it cinematic pop, but it's also kind of got a uh, cinematic R&B edge. There's a lot of strings and big drums and things like that. Uh, so I, I got the style kind of came from this uh, version of a Bee Gees song I did that was in this trailer for the new Suicide Squad movie, and it got really popular on YouTube. People were saying, oh, you should do a style like this, you should do a CD like this, so... I kind of wanted to write that, but then naturally my R&B influence and everything sort of infused into this meld of, like, cinematic R&B pop. And uh, so I started working on the disc for about six weeks and uh, was going back and forth with several artists. And Vita and I talked about collaborating after I put out Not One More uh, to benefit T-Walk and I did that track. And uh, and oh, I remember that oh, she... yes, Not One More. And well, we talked back and forth about possibly getting together and working on a song, and the title track just had this energy that I felt like Vita would really just take on because she had done her own uh, uh, version of Hell You Talking About, Janelle Monae's track, but she had uh, done it about black trans lives, and uh, you know, so. Clearly, you know, we both had similar goals, and I thought, what a perfect way for us to work together uh, in those goals musically. And, um, you know, I feel like it's important, too, that when, you know, now that I'm getting lucky and my platform's starting to get some intention to, you know, show and, and highlight other artists that are really talented that don't get the shot, you know. Um, all of the other artists on the CD are trans besides uh, Joe Marquez and Jeremy Gloss. Uh, two good friends of mine from Tampa, but yeah, everyone else, Ryan Frizone also as well, but uh, you know, Vita really just has such a phenomenal talent. She's a phenomenal rapper. She's a phenomenal drummer. Um, she's a phenomenal singer. She can do literally anything she sets her mind to. She just she made that track what it was and just totally rounded off the CD in a way that is totally invaluable. You know, There's no amount of money or or anything that could really value what that was to me and how perfect that was. Cause the CD was so important to me and this song was like the crown jewel of it. And what she did just amplified it and brought it to a new level. And so I think it's a strong. A Shout strong out to Vita. Yes. Oh my. So let's dig in now that we've established um, a little bit better understanding of um, who you are. It's just a small snapshot of that. Um, let's dig right into really the meat and bones of what it is that a lot of people know you for, and that is your writing. You are a writer, a contributing writer for Huffington Post. Compose. Is that correct? Did I get your title right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a blogger, if you will. There's a lot of funny titles. Right. Um, can you just tell us how that relationship came about with the Yeah, I had uh, I had been writing. I started my own blog called Chase at Large for a while, and I was trying to write. And 
I wasn't really, you know, finding my hook. I couldn't really write anything that was sticking. And so I took some time off and started working on my book. And um, then I wrote a piece after HuffPost. They they actually ran an article about my band in January. And I would I had been going back and forth with the editor, just, you know, getting advice from him and, uh, you know, how to submit. And I had been submitting articles for a while. And um, then finally I submitted him this piece I wrote about, uh, I think it was about the word queer. I'd done like an essay and he, uh, ran it. And ever since then I've been sending pieces in and running them. And, um, you know, they kind of see me as a guest contributor over there. just kind of, you know, give my opinion and things like that. I'm still looking for a home base, uh, to officially, you know, link myself to, but HuffPost has been a great way for me to, you know, read my mind and also to kind of, be a voice for my community because, you know, I just felt like a big part of it was that there wasn't really enough trans people in charge of other, of trans people's stories. And like, you know, mm. uh, so I think it's important to have, you know, even if it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to do it, you know, there were women who were catty and people who were catty and saying, Oh, well, you're just doing this for attention and this and that. And I'm like, you don't understand that there's not really enough media of trans people where we can actually have control over our narrative and, um, so it's very important to, to you know, uh, have that understanding when we go in this work and that our work affects people, especially as journalists. The media influences everybody. Right, and right. So, you you know, writing. The journal. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, I was just really dumbfounded that someone would say that to you, and I'm just like, you writing stories on other trans folks, that's a form of healing, that's not you centering yourself. That's a form of healing. And, you know, I, I thank you for that, and I really appreciate that because that's what it feels like to me, and I, I think it's important that uh, the way we can heal this community of brokenness is through accountability and through through using, um, you know, our tools that we're given to help each other, you know. Um, and we all, as as human beings, are given tools and privileges and so we have to make do with those what we can. And some of us, if we want to step up and do activism and write and, and you know, be a louder voice, uh, and, you know, we have to be conscious of what we're amplifying because if people are listening to us, then we need to be sure that we're listening to others because they're the voices that are going to be amplified ultimately through this work, you know. Um, Absolutely. So in preparation for tonight's show, Sydney, I – looked over some of your blog posts that you've posted on Huffington Post, which I thought were all fabulous, but I only picked a few, right, I only picked a few that I really want to delve into. The first one, I'm just going to give a date, so, you know, you can have a a time frame, and I'm also going to read a portion of it. So this one you posted January 24th, and it was dealing with the word queer, and you have wrote, written the word queer is said to be derived from 15th century terms meaning eccentric. It was not until the late 19th century that the term queer was used in a derogatory manner to refer to effeminate males. And the strange wilderness of adolescence, LGBTQ, does not apply to young minds. We are just an intricate web full androgynous beings trying to understand how we relate to the world and the, most, and the many cultures around us. My question to you, dealing with you were uh, talking about language uh, in this post, in words, um, what are your feelings and thoughts on other highly charged words, like the T word, uh, tranny, 
or that word. Uh, I don't say the rest, but it's three letters, <laughs> and it ends with G. Um, what are your thoughts on th- those other words that have, you know, meaning, you know, go back? Um, well, you know, these slurs, they, they, you know, sometimes when they're used, they can seem harmless, they can seem like a joke, but they have a lot of impact, um, you know, and they, they affect people in a lot of different ways. Uh, and also right. a lot of these slurs can be used to humanize and belittle people. And, um, you know, anything to perpetuate that kind of behavior is honestly just, you know, it's 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 not it reflects poorly on the person, you know, and and you know the person being insulted and put down, um, you know, because no one deserves to be dehumanized in any fashion. And I don't know. I feel like it's also one of those things where we as trans people and queer uh, people in some fashion uh, have, you know, uh, we have the right to take back uh, our words and we have the right to reclaim what's ours. And people want to brand us. As something negative, we have every right to wear it ourselves, but we have every right to tell them you don't have the right to say that because it's not your lived experience, you know. Um, right. So that's I'm the so thing that's so important. That right. I'm so glad you brought that up because I had an experience last week with, um, I don't know, I don't want to call a young girl, but she's a grown woman. She's probably in her 30s. She's a mutual friend of a very close friend of mine who I've known for many, many years um, since high school. And we just recently became mutual friends. And so on her timeline on on Facebook, there, she shared a meme. And this meme was a picture of uh, presumably a trans woman um, because in the caption of the meme it said, she looks damn good for a man or something to that extent. So once I saw that and was horrified and triggered and all the usual suspects, I sent her an inbox. I slid up in her inbox and I said, listen, that meme is not a no-go. <laughs> That's not going to fly for my timeline. I said, you can post whatever you want, but just know that I'm not going to be friends with you on Facebook if that's what you share. And so we mutually agreed to part ways, which was fine with me. But I just found it so interesting because she, her counter punch to me was, oh, I have tons of trans friends and they don't have an issue with it. Don't tell me about somebody else. I'm telling you about my experience. You're not trans, so I need you to, to back off. Why don't people get it to me? You know, I don't, I don't understand it. Honestly, it's, it, it kind of, it, it bugs me. You know, like I, I wrote this article uh, that's about to come out on Everyday Feminism, and it, and it came out on HuffPost a while back, and it's, uh, you know, it's about non-black POC, and you know, there's this point that, that I make in it, and that is that, you know, um, for some reason, uh, people really like to, you know, recenter things and make it about their emotions. Uh, but they don't realize that, you know, like, I wouldn't tell NASA how to work a spaceship. I'm not going to tell the woman right. at the grocery store how to work her cash register. So why would you tell a trans person how to, how to handle trans politics or, you know, how to handle their emotions, you know? I, so and right. it's one of those things where people are just ignorant of the lived experience, in my opinion. You know? I can't. Moving on, in March, uh, March 4th of 2015, Oh, I just got a note. Thank you, Lord. She said that I'm breathing. We can hear you breathing, girl. 
very heavily. <laughs> oh my god! Does that mean I'm becoming a fat ass? <laughs> Is that? Am I coming across very heavily? Am I okay? Is it me? <laughs> I know you're fine. I think you sound fine. And to Lord, me. don't read me. I know she's gonna be like, "Girl, you trying?" Don't <laughs> shout me out. <laughs> I love you, girl. You know you're always part of the show. <laughs> okay, let me move the microphone just a little bit away. Can you still hear me now? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, good. March fourth of twenty fifteen. If transition has taught me anything, is that our culture is one that sees what it wants to see. We are ones to believe quickly that the proof is in the pudding, when in fact we eat the pudding and hardly consider its content. Do you read the back of a snack pack box before you eat a pudding? I sure as hell don't. That's when it hits me. I have to be what I want people to see. I walk to the store every week, and every week it's the same now. Excuse me, miss, or is your hair real? It's a different ball game, but it's the one I signed up for. Passing is not about trying to look cisgender or stereotypically male or female. At the heart of it, true passing is about being who you are, letting your truest self shine through. You will only, quote, unquote, pass to the rest of the world when you, quote, unquote, pass for yourself. It takes self-love and appreciation to craft who you are inside, and you must condition your to be strong. I speak these words, Sydney. That was the end of the quote. I speak these words so strong, Sydney, as we talk about the latest murders that just occurred. Mm-hmm. According to yes, according to ABP dot org. And CABP mourns the death of Zella Viona, a transgender woman of color killed in Pittsburgh, Maryland. The 22nd, the 22nd reported mm-hmm. homicide of a transgender, gender non-conforming person in 2015. We have learned that in the course of this investigation, according to local media, much has been discussed of the misgendering of Zella. And the misnaming of the victim who was shot to death, possibly following an altercation. Casa Ruby and our local orgs in D.C. are working very hard, like they have for decades, in bringing justice to Zella Ziona. Rest in peace, goddess. Sydney, your thoughts on just that passage I read and these murders? Well, um, you know, it's it's all kind of, there's this very uh, delicate web that's being interweaved, I think. You know, we have this issue where I really feel like uh, one of the biggest roots of this evil and these murders is hyper-masculinity. It is, uh, mm. it is a lot of times men committing acts uh, to prove something um, when the only thing they're proving is that they are capable of taking someone's life. Um, and a lot of the time, I think it is our culture that caters to this attitude and this, uh, you know, this this, this idea of hypermasculinity, and it's what causes, you know, a lot of these men. And on top of that, you know, our culture enables that through uh, laws like trans panic to be acceptable. Um, you know, it's a way of our culture enabling hypermasculine behavior. Um, you know, it's telling girls how to dress. It's it's all of that. You know, it's the censorship and. Um, as far as, you know, in regards to passability, um, trans people need to 
just unheartedly love and know who they are on the inside before they, you know, worry about the outside. Because the outside, people will judge always, trans or not. Uh, people will judge and, you know, you have to love yourself. You have to give yourself that time. Give that, take that bath, read that book, uh, sleep that extra hour, you know, um, do what you got to do because you got to do what you can to feel good if you're going through, you know, a hard experience. And, um, you know, and especially when we're going through the time where we're mourning uh, in our community, we have to offer each other love and support and healing. And we have to offer each other, uh, you know, uplifting. And we have to offer each other accountability in this time. It's really important for us to, uh, you know, have conversations and dialogues as a community and let people know that this is unacceptable. Because right now, um, every bit of mass media and legal stance and uh, the law and politicians are saying this is okay. And, you know, uh, now this is the time, of, you know, where this is a time for trans folks to stand up and say this is not okay. With this increase in visibility comes this increase in crime. And we have to recognize that as we move forward, uh, you know, with trans visibility in the media in 2015. Work. Oh my God, that was a mouthful. I just want to make sure that I'm also updating the name of Goddess Keisha Jenkins, 22 year old transgender woman of color who was killed a week before Goddess Zelaziona life was taken from us. Goddess Keisha Jenkins was also tragically murdered in the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I strongly believe that we 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 must say our goddesses' names. But I also yeah. feel just as strongly that we need to be seeing each other's names who yeah. are here right now with us currently living. We need to say each other's names more often. We need more folks who have platforms and positions of uh, gatekeeping. We need those folks to come out of their shadows and start speaking other folks' names. That, I think, will help lead to healing. That will help lead to some some sort of creation of sisterhood, creation of uh, just, there's, when people pour life into each other, especially trans, two trans people pouring life into each other, to me, I have yet to find anything like it. And so for me, can we talk about, Sydney, this overt focus on erasure, I Folks love lambasting whiteness and how folks of color narratives get erased. But these same folks, Sydney, are team cricket when a black queer artist drops an EP or an album. Or mm. a trans person drops an album in general. Black, white, whatever the race is. These same folk are team cricket when trans women of color drop books and play. These same folks are team cricket when there's a new podcast up. As much as we lambast these gatekeepers, I see very little effort being put into uplifting and affirming black and brown folk who are doing some amazing work. All I see is hundreds of think pieces on how how terrible these murders are and, you know, uh, how people need to come together and this and that. But yet, when you look at proxy in the course of, in relation to action, it's just not there. What are your mm. thoughts about 
us not focusing so much as a community on the trauma and regurgitating the trauma and actually reshifting the focus to pouring into folks' lives, pouring into artists, pouring into entrepreneurs, pouring into people who are doing amazing work, CEOs, business people, model, actress, whatever your thing is, pour into it. But it should be equal. Models and actresses shouldn't be thought of as better than doctors and lawyers. Doctors and lawyers shouldn't be thought of as better than street workers. We are all the same. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, I think we all have uh we all have power to contribute. Trans people, you know, like I think there was a there was a point that Lord Hunter made uh in an interview oh. we did. Uh, a while back, and, and and you've made this point yourself as well that trans people are descendants of gods and goddesses. You know, we we come from an ancient history that right. of beauty that has been erased. Uh, you know, go read Yemya's Daughter by Dana Didi. Uh, go read, you know, go pick up, go pick up a book. Like people, you know, there is so much beautiful history, uh, you know, that has been erased, and I think that there, we we come from so much more. Um, and a lot of us don't know that, and we walk into something because it's all been shielded from us. It's blinded from us. And, uh, you know, I think exactly like you said, we have to use these platforms to speak these names. We have to literally <clears throat> this in front of people. You know, uh, not one more. I had a lot of people ask me about, uh, you know, about name about naming all those women. And, you know, I, I had to make it a point that it was so important to say those names and remember those names and because that that really puts a picture you know people will see a headline all the time that just says trans woman murdered okay another headline you know right. but when you really say that name when I sang those names I felt like the gravity of it set in in a way that it had had previously because you really start to realize the weight of the life lost and what our community is enduring and so it's so important for us to use what we have to breathe life into each other, to uplift each other, to uplift the living trans women who are working and breathing. And, you know, that's why whenever I came working on the trans pen list, you know, there there was just so many women. There were so many uh, women and men and, and all kinds of gender non-conforming people. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't have enough space. You know, there was too much brilliance. There's so much brilliance in our community. It's overwhelming. And it's just ignored. Um, Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. I was thinking about taking a phone call, but before I do that, I just really want to just um, piggyback off of that. Because for me, I feel like I'm really, I think I'm just, I don't know if you hear the frustration in my voice, <laughs> but I'm just really getting tired of people just regurgitating this stuff. Because I feel like I don't need to be reminded of what my fate could be or should have been because I turned 36 a few days Mm. ago. So I don't need to be reminded of what my fate should have been because, you know, the average age of uh, trans woman is 35. Of a trans person or trans woman of color, excuse me, is 35. So if the average age is in the 30s and I'm 36, I don't need to be reminded of that. At the same token, I feel it's disingenuous that folks want to say folks' names after they're gone, but they're team crickets when they're alive. If you can't exactly. say my name when I'm 
if you can't say my name when I'm alive, don't bother saying my name in passing. Basically. And on that <laughs> note, we're going to take a phone call. <laughs> Let's take a phone call. Who's been waiting here the longest? Oh, my God. Hopefully they want to talk. And hopefully it's not someone who's just listening. The last four, is that Lord? That might be Lord. Maybe I'll leave her alone. The last four is Nice to meet you too. Lala, tell her about you. Stop asking shots. Oh, I'm <laughs> oh, I'm just, you know you know that little you know, you around away that around the way girl, you know, just you know, your regular trans girl, you know. You know, just regular. I'm a community organizer for um the New York City Anti Violence Project. Um, so I do a lot of um organizing around um violence that happens to LGBTQ New Yorkers and statewide and um, nationally and just always trying to um, push girls to authentically live in their truth, um, teaching girls to be honest and transparent about um, things that are happening on. I'm a person that always speaks on the truth and and the ugly conversations that no one wants to talk about. Um, I'll bite the bullet and say the things that no one else wants to say. And I try to use the model of calling people in versus just calling people out but there's just so much going on that I feel that as leaders as a leader it's your duty to do that regardless if you lose friends or loggers, if they blackball you don't want to take a photo op with you anymore doesn't matter because if we're not speaking and addressing the real root causes of what's going on we're not going to see any kind of changes and trying to really teach um, my trans community that we can do the changes that we need stop asking these systems that don't give a rat's ass about you to do anything. We have the power to do it ourselves when we collectively put our minds together to strategically do something, not run around like a bunch of Skittles, but strategically as the community get things done, we are able to do that. And I love the entrepreneur piece because I talk about that all the time. There are so many people that have so many talents in this community, so many people that have 
good credit? Why aren't we grabbing them children up and teaching them how to make a business plan and teaching them to get some of these new business um, loans for people of color and these scholarships in schools for people of color? And these are conversations that we should be having. Visibility is cute. It's a piece of the component. But changing the systems that have been killing us for centuries, that is the key. And that's the piece that people forget. Mm. But I'm going to leave that alone That's my little rant I'm going to leave it alone No, thank you for that rant I, I feel like for me I want Sydney to chime in But for me I feel like I feel like we have the components Everything we need is already provided By the community Trans folk of color especially Are already providing the things we need We just need mm-hmm. the people who have the money to get out the fucking way and pour that money back into where it belongs in its proper place. And we also need our folk to tighten ranks and support those who are already providing these things. There are are trans folk who have companies that employ trans people. Pasta de Ruby. Trans Tech Social. There are so many awkward. There are so many organizations, TWAC. There are so many organizations out there, the Kitty Bella Show. There are so many organizations that are already employing trans folk, that are already trying to elevate the leadership of trans folk. Pour into them. Mm-hmm. Sydney, what do you have to say? Yeah, I think it's also important that uh, that whenever we pour into this work, we also understand uh, where all of our our pouring is going and what we're pouring into. I think, um, you know, I think when we look at it, especially like the or- these orgs, people just give freely to these orgs. But what are these orgs doing for for any of us down here on the ground? You know? What are these these orgs aren't aren't shelling out shit for any 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 anything to shift the narrative? And on top of that, I think it also starts out with structural oppression, uh, you know. And so I think a big thing that we want change in these orgs, if we want change up top, then we need to let trans people of color into power. We need to put, we need to put, uh, you know, people, all kinds of transgender non-conforming people into power uh, so that we can systematically fight this also. Because, you know, there can only be so many of us on the ground doing what we do with what we have. You know, but we still have to. They need to make room in the in the top. You know, they need to make room uh, where where the financial uh, power is concerned, where money is. Because you know, right now it's hard to get these movements off the ground. And like you said, crickets. You know, people aren't people aren't chiming for the fight when it is now. But they're all good in nickels when it comes to you know grazing for a funeral. They're all good for another body and another sad story. But it's like. When are you going to get up and do something? Start shifting the narrative. Where is the and you got to ask yourself where is the narrative and where does it start? Um, and absolutely, you know, just, people got to do the homework when they want to really invest and they really want to do make change. You know, and, and shifting and making change and creating change uh, individually. Everybody has to come together, but also individually, you got to you know understand what creating change means to you. Um, and, and you know, I think other people's experience will very much help you round out and embody that. Ashe, Ashe, I wanted to move over. Um, Lala, I'm going to keep you on. Did you want to hang up, or do you, you mind staying on for a sec? I mean, I can stay on for a sec, because I had a question, but I can wait. Oh, is it pertaining to what we just talked about? 
No, it was um, because I know um, you're an artist, right, Sydney? Yes. Right, and so I just have a question about, you know, just a lot of our, you know, our queer artists that we have in the community. I just wonder how you feel, like how people want to utilize artists and all these new queer artists for, like, events or prize and all these other kind of things, and then they don't want, they expect them because you're in the community and because you're supposed to be so happy that I'm giving you this platform to showcase your talent, but they don't want to pay you but they will pay someone else who they feel is the society's exception to the rule that has a celebrity following, bukus of coins, but will not actually pay the ones that are really needing the money. And, like, how do you feel about that? And how can we have intentional conversations in our community to change that? Well, you know, I think also our community needs to really sometimes evaluate how how we value performers as far as LGBTQ as a whole. Uh, we need to evaluate, uh, you know, or reevaluate, like, who we're bringing uh, into these events. People host events all the time. There's plenty of space for, for us to be at work. For There's plenty of space for trans and gender nonconforming people to be at work. It's a matter of these organizations and these people in power strong-arming, uh, you know, uh, people out of work and get, get to people they feel is, is more entitled and so uh, you know, it's it's really shameful when a lot of really talented uh, gender and, and not forming trans artists don't get the same opportunities that cisgender and, uh, you know, straight artists do. I mean, at this year's Local Pride, our band technically won. So if we had a, there was a battle of the band. By the do- Everyone came and voted and put a dollar bill in a jar to vote for their favorite band. Sound guy said that our band technically won because we got the most votes, but the judges picked another band because they had a white gay lead singer, um, you know, and he was wearing a little crop top and everything. So, but that, you know, that $3,000 prize would have really been nice to sell hormones. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's just things like that where the community just sort of, you know, we get overstepped because of, you know, we're not valued and we're not uh, prioritized in any fashion. Oh, my God. You you ladies are touching on something that really just irks my nerves. It's something that really just drives me crazy what I see a lot, especially in the community. There's this level of uh, if you don't have this, this sort of uh, education or you don't have this amount of followers or you don't have this uh, look, that it just you're disposable. And I feel like I don't know what the hell goes on where people think that because you don't have a certain status that your music, your book, your film that you're producing, whatever, your show, doesn't matter. And I think that's what drives me to have people on my show who are not heard of so much. Because I feel like, Sydney, you're just as powerful as any singer, you know, that I know. Uh I'm not saying that you, I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not judging vocals and all that, but I'm just talking about just the the brilliance and the talent that it takes to do what you do. I wouldn't say, oh, Sydney, oh, you have, you know, you haven't sold enough, you haven't sold platinum, you don't know what you're doing. You know, because we know that that, the, the status does not equal talent. We've seen that, especially mm-hmm. in this day and age. Right, in this day and age with music, we've right. seen that. And so, I don't know, I just see this a lot in the community, and not just with music, but with all different realms. If you're not 
you know, thought of sort of as like second tier. And that is really problematic, and it borders on tons of abuser respectability politics. Lala, did you have something to share with that? Oh, no, you know, I I do agree, and, like, me and you had offline conversations about it, and so I just wanted to hear an artist's, an artist's perspective because sometimes I feel like when people hear me say it, they're like, oh, girl, you're just a community organizer, like, girl, you don't have a platform right. to say that. And so I wanted to hear right. it from somebody else because, like, I'm a kind of person that I don't even feel comfortable, like, utilizing people for stuff for free. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I, don't, I feel bad. I feel bad. You know, if I had an event, to be like, oh, my gosh, I'm this girl, she's a dope singer, and I'm going to ask you to do me a favor, or she's a dope poet, and I'm not able to pay you because that is your, that's your talent, and that's your time, and that's your job, and that's your business. But I also feel that collectively as a community, that we need to have a conversation where we as a community saying that we're all consecutively are going to be demanding that we're paid. You know, you have some people that – don't care as long as they got a photo op and it's going to be some press and some high profile celebrities there, they will go do an event for free. And so when you have people that are willing to do it for free, it kind of puts your talent or, or you know, you're trying to help them. It kind of like right. snubs you because it's like, you're cute and all, Sydney, but Betty Sue says she'll do it for free and the picture with Jennifer Hudson. You know what I'm saying? So it's like we as a community need to be in agreement to say we are demanding our respect. We're demanding that, you know, you pay our sisters. Even us as community people, like not just, oh, I got some people I can bring. Let me call my girlfriends. No, before you call your girlfriends, you need to be talking to them people to say, I can bring my girlfriends, but what is your budget? Oh. You know what I'm saying? And even if you are like the showcase celebrity, how could you feel when you know your tax bracket is above me? How could you go home and sleep at night and you're getting paid $10,000 for an event and your sisters are at the same event for free and you know that, that their money is not like yours? How could yes. you be comfortable mm. accepting that? So that's that. always, yes. you know, where is your leadership and where is, how do you think about me? Because I couldn't. I don't care if I won a million dollars today. I could not, you know, not look back and feed into the agencies that you spoke of, Katrina. I could not, you know, if I had money, you know, oh, come speak at Columbia, Lala. We're going to pay $25,000, and then I see the program, and it's my sisters on a panel. I would, out of my booking fees, spread it to my sisters out of respect. Because I feel it's a disrespect for me to get paid and you to sit there for free because you're a community leader or because you're a community organizer. No, just because your job, you're using my job to put me there, but I'm still deserving to be paid because that's something extra that I'm doing outside of my work. Exactly. And that's it. We are valuable. We are valuable. And if we are know our value and we uplift each other and give each other that value and exchange that value, then they will have no choice but to value us the same. If we don't let them value us any other way, then that's the only way they can value us at our own standard. And so, you know, if they say come play this event for free, I say no. You give me a paycheck or I don't show up because I'm valued the same way as these cisgender artists. I'm not somebody who's a sideshow. I'm a real performer. I work hard. This is my job. Um, and I demand that same respect, you know. And I think every artist has to hold their own sometimes because, you know, unfortunately people are, are not 
they're not like the spaces aren't carved out for trans and queer people especially. So we have to go in and aggressively fight and carve out our own space. And it really shouldn't be that way. You know, we should have space already. Um, you know, so I think that's what our incentive is, is to carve out space for our kids of tomorrow, for the little trans and boys and girls to know that they will have a space. Uh, uh, because they need to know that. Ashay, absolutely. Thank you so much for say, uh, sharing Peace, Sydney. Lala, I'm going to put you on hold. Thank you so much. Yeah, you have been thank brilliant. you. Of course. Thank you, goddess. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That was amazing. Yeah. Thank you, Lala. Sydney. Are you yes. there? Hey. Oh, yep, right. yep. Yes, yes. As we come closer to the closing of this, um, I just want briefly, if, you, if we could just talk about some of the candidates, um, because I know there's been a big push to get behind some of these Democratic candidates. And so I wanted to, like, really peel back some of the layers quickly on some of these candidates. Um, what are your thoughts so far on on these candidates so far? Um, this is a this has been a crazy interesting year for politics. I mean, I, I was very active in, in politics, um, you know, and growing up. And, and so now, especially now that I'm at a point where, as a trans woman, I see things politically much more intensely than I did before I transitioned. Um, you know, and politically I think there's a lot of uh hope but at the same time we're also still so far away and so far behind. Um and mm-hmm. I think it really starts out with uh, with our, our candidates. Uh if there's any hope for political reform candidates that actually see the struggle and that aren't just ignoring the struggle of their campaign and platform. Because, you know, there's still so many uh, struggles, you know, that, like, women aren't making the money that men are making on the dollar. And, uh, you know, uh, black women aren't making the money that white women are making on the dollar. There are all of these socioeconomic divides that need to be addressed, and they're not being addressed by a lot of these candidates. And I felt like a lot of candidates on the other night, you know, were kind of floundering and not really answering questions. Um, Bernie Sanders is a strong contender. I, I I have hope. I'm curious. You know, I don't really say I'm settled on a, on a candidate per se, because I mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't really know. For me, it's almost like a it's like the you know picking picking the lesser of two evils. Because <laughs> right. at the end right. of the day, you know, these politicians are you know, I think you got to really look into them. And Bernie Sanders, he's really being funded by unions and by you know American-made companies, whereas you know Hillary's being funded all by super PACs and Viacom and Time Warner and all these corporations and so it's very clear, you know, that there is a lot of money at play this year more than ever. Um, I don't know. I think politics right. are starting. Like, like, even, like, let's take Bernie, for instance. You talked, you brought up Bernie. Like, I, I was able to find a little snippet off of the advocate.com website where they have a quote here. Sanders has also been a steadfast and reliable supporter of LGBT equality. Supporting the Employment Non-Discrimination Act when it passed the Senate in 2013, and even calling on President Obama to evolve already and so and support marriage equality in 2011. He's a co-sponsor of the federal LGBT Inclusive Student Non-Discrimination Act, and has consistently voted against bills seeking to amend the Constitution to ban same-sex marriage, while co-sponsoring a bill that will repeal the remaining portions of the so-called uh, DOMA. Sanders has a perfect score of 100% on the Human Rights Campaign's latest Congressional Equality Index, end quote. My issue, which I'm sure may be an issue for you, 
Sydney is like for me, you're getting a perfect score one hundred percent on the human rights campaign as a trans person that's not really a seal of approval for me mm. what are yeah, your thoughts I feel on the that? Same, no I feel the same about that. My trust has definitely been stirred with uh h r c as a trans woman. Mm. Um, because of what's been going on over there, particularly with their employee uh, reports and the fact that there were trans people at work at HR not feeling comfortable and feeling, uh, which is like, if they can't even do that in their own house, how am I supposed to expect, you know, their opinion to back up my presidential candidate? So as far as I'm concerned, I don't think there is any real show of what Bernie is actually going to do for trans people yet. I think, Whenever the the debates come and he's really questioned about it, maybe we'll see more of what he might be planning to do. But as far as I'm concerned, I don't see any real mode of action. I don't trust the HRC as far as I can throw Right. And so for me, when I look at when I, I said, well, let me go to Bernie Sanders' website. If you really want to get the information, go to the person's website. I went to his website, and on his website, he does have a section. One of his platforms is for LGBT rights or whatever he calls it. And he has a seven-bulleted uh, sort of action steps that he would take as president. And, like, each sentence basically is LGBT, LGBT Americans, LGBT people, advance this LGBT. It's the same basic language. We're not being specific. We're not being specific to the need. I feel if you are a candidate, I need you to say, remove LGBT. I need you to say, no, we're going to make trans-specific issues our priority. The murders of trans women, the high rates of unemployment and and, and homelessness. Those are the things, you know, the lack of, of resources and pay and stuff. Those are the things. That uh, you know, to the, the 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 criminal uh, incarceration element, uh, criminalization of sex work. Those are the things you know that I don't hear from them. I hear this general, oh, you know, LGBT. And the problem with that is, is that historically, we it has been shown that LGBT does not include the T. Mm-hmm. And Hillary is no different. Hillary. Did speak about human rights. You remember that legendary speech she gave while Secretary of State. Everybody was all bravo. But really, is Hillary any different? I don't think so. And so for Ah. me, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, babe. No, no, I agree. I'm saying Hillary. I mean, Hillary, but she voted against a gay right. Uh, or she encouraged that bill to be uh, overturned. Um, and then now all of a sudden she's pro-gay because she has lesbians in her campaign commercial and rainbow bumper stickers. And it just feels like she's just turning, she's just turning a corner for the gay vote. It just seems like a pathetic grab, honestly. I mean, if she was doing her own thing, maybe that's whatever, but it just seems like she's trying really hard for the vote. But you have to look into the whole dichotomy of LGBT if you want the whole vote. You can't just keep throwing an umbrella term around and expecting to actually get any interest from LGBT candidates because everyone has different 
disappears, and the L and G and the G are basically taken care of. Now it's time uh, that, you know, the T gets taken care of because, you know, we still don't have civil rights. And uh, Bernie did make a tweet about uh, trans housing rights, specifically employment discrimination, but that's the only thing that he's come forward with. Hillary uh, came out uh, so-called speaking for transgender rights, but as Trans Advocate pointed out, she was not even capable of saying the word transgender. And I'm so granted. glad you brought that up. I'm so glad you brought that up. According <laughs> to Marie Bree at Bustle.com, over the last few years, gay rights have pulled their way into mainstream political dialogue. During the 2012 campaign, the rights of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender Americans were still largely skimmed over by candidates. The push for trans rights has lagged even further behind the rest of our community and has only just now begun to fly find a place in the speeches of major political candidates. To her credit, Hillary Clinton did make a broad mention of LGBT rights in her opening comments the other night, but debate moderator Anderson Cooper did not ask a single question about the LGBTQ community in the course of the debate. The GOP debates, on the other hand, have provided the Republican candidates plenty of opportunity to score political points by degenerating same-sex marriage in the name of religious liberty. Considering that the safety of any degree of rights and protections for LGBTQ community essentially hinge on this election, it's critical that the dialogue over LGBTQ issues and trans rights most critically happen in more than just speeches. We need commitment to action, not political lip service. So far, the most high-profile exposure the transgender community has received in the media is the reality TV circuit surrounding Caitlyn Jenner, which is probably doing trans people more harm than good. Discussing the violence and discrimination faced by trans people on a national stage, the Democratic debate, would have been a huge win awareness about the realities of the community on a daily basis. More importantly, even saying the word transgender on that stage would have been momentous step toward the humanization of trans people, who still remain largely objects of fascination and fetish. It was a huge moment when Bernie Sanders said the words Black Lives Matter and spoke of the name Sandra Bland. If he or anyone else on the stage had the chance to mention Lamia Beard, Amber Monroe, Keisha Jenkins, or any of the more than a dozen other trans women of color murdered this year, well, now 22. It would have been monumental in calling attention to these largely ignored murders, unquote. And that is from Marie Brieg, Brieg at Bustle.com. Sydney, your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I I think that really Um, that's one of the big big things, you know, is that... um, we need to get these candidates to say their name. You know, I think Bernie saying Sandra's name was a great start, you know, because right. first off, Hillary, Hillary lost my vote with that all live bullshit at the church a few months ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I was just like, no, don't even, don't even go there. Like, <laughs> um, so, you know, I, with Bernie, um, you know, I really feel like it's important that he says those names, that he, acknowledges the reality of what's going on if he really wants to earn my vote as a transgender woman because for me my concern is the fact that my sisters are being killed um and you know i think if that's not being addressed we have a we have a growing our our percentage in violence is higher than ever and the trans portal is just now showing us that the trans survey i think is going to blow a lot of people's mind when the results are revealed because there is so many of you know i think there's so many of us and i think you know um, I think really, if we really want to see reform for trans rights, 
um, Bernie has to speak their name. I know I don't trust Hillary, too, because Hillary can't even say the word. Bernie can maybe say the word, so let's hope he can say their name, because I would really show me that he's capable of looking into what's going on for real, because this is something that is being so largely ignored, and the reporting that is being done is piss poor. The misgendering, the disrespect, it's completely dehumanizing. Until a president comes up and stands that, I mean, I see how they expect the trans community to take it seriously, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, my, Lord is asking, are we going to hear Miss Denichi's tribute not one more tonight? Oh, I wish I did not have enough time to prepare for that. But we can make that happen on the next show, absolutely. That um, I would have to get that, uh, get that file uh, digitally transferred to MP3 so I can play it on the show. Um, but we can make that happen, right, Sydney? Yes, absolutely. I thought I had a copy of that. I don't know. I thought Vita sent me that already. I think she did. I don't know. But that would have been good. Yes, Lords, I'm sorry. I don't think we're going to play that tonight. But we will be playing in a few minutes, Lords, another song by Sydney that is just as amazing. Um, there is a question from Twitter. This is from Elizabeth Marie Rivera. Shout out to her. Uh, hashtag hey. Stop the Shade Campaign. Right. Hashtag Stop the Shade Campaign. Elizabeth, where did I do it? I lost it. Elizabeth wants to know, Sydney, what was it like for you to come out as a trans artist? Um, what was the process like, or was there a struggle? Um, yeah, there was absolutely a struggle. You know, I, uh, I transitioned to kind of already a, a small following and I was really worried that people weren't going to dig me or dig my vibe. Uh, you know, and then I kind of had these fears about, okay, well, if I look right, you know, my voice is going to be so deep and people aren't going to like it. And, you know, but then I thought about it and I thought, well, you know, why do I care if people are mm-hmm. judging me? Because, you know, one of my favorite singers, Nina Simone, is gorgeously deep voice. So many of my favorite oh. singers. Um, I have these gorgeous voices and thought, why do I need to hate my voice? Why don't I just love it? And, so I started to love my voice, and I even, um, you know, worked with a couple of people and took some voice lessons and really just worked hard on my voice. Um, and everything, you know, the universe was just in time. And when I worked on that, it really helped to bring my new image together and um, kind of well, I hit a, I hit a corner. And, it, you know, when things started going viral, people knew me right away as Sydney Chase, and they saw my picture and my name, and, and they figured it out, you know, um, and ever since then, you know, people have been respectful. I haven't really had any misgendering or any problems, um, uh, you know, but there are occasionally some misogynists, some people who make comments about my features or whatever. I just kind of smirk and say, well, you know, I mean, like, I'm the one who has to accept myself at the end of the day. And I love myself. I look in the mirror, and I'm happy with who I am. And, um, you know, there's definitely changes, and I definitely can grow. I've never, I've never done growing. I think that's the most important thing for me, you know, as a trans artist living in 2015, is that even though my transition feels like I've finally gotten as an artist to a place where I feel comfortable, uh, as a person and as an artist, I'm never really done growing. My transition's never really over, you know, um, because I'm always going to be working towards being better. 
Absolutely. Oh, that was amazing. You are definitely, I just want to let you know that right now this interview is just pouring into so many people. I'm getting so many messages right now, people saying how much they are getting affirmed from everything you are dropping tonight. So I just want to shout you out right now. Thank you so much. I just feel so honored and just to share this space with you and to just have this conversation. It was just beautiful, beautiful time. Absolutely. Oh, someone has emailed me the MP4 of <laughs> They really want me to play it. Um, let me see. I don't know if I can finagle that this very second while I'm hosting the show board. Um, so we're going to get to the closed portion now. Can you just tell us what is in the future? What is in store for you, Sydney, as we're going forward? What are you working on? What can we look forward to? Um, give us that. And while you're doing that, I'll see if I can get this MP4 up. So go. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, I am working on um, my first book right now. I um there's hope that it's going to be published. Um, so I'm doing that. Uh, I'm working on a movie, and uh, my character has around 105 lines. Haven't learned that many lines since high school. I've, I haven't done theater since high school, so <laughs> that's been it's been a kind of a blast. Uh, you know, I didn't even really want to do this role, and my partner kind of like, you should do it, you should do it, and you know, you're the only one who uh-huh. can do it right. And I was like, okay, you know, uh, I, I was really uplifted by uh, Angelica Roth and Jen Richards and her story uh, to, to follow through with this work and to be in my own story. Um, because seeing those two beautiful trans women just, you know, uh, and and sharing their narrative in that way uh, just really, like, spoke a lot to my heart. And, um, you know, I think that's part of why Swallowing Thugs is going to be what it is. And, uh, I think other than that, working on um, I'm doing a cover album next year. I haven't told anybody this uh-huh. yet. Uh, it's oh, called Right in the Childhood. Getting, oh, we're getting breaking news. Yeah, it's, getting well with you. <laughs> yes, yes. It's uh, it's called Right in the Childhood. My favorite song from the night. Um, I'm also going to be uh, you got to yes. give the bomb a few seconds, right? I was say you got to give the bomb. Oh, yeah, what a few esteemers. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's going to be all my, favorite, all my favorite tunes from the 90s. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm going to be working on that. And the Siamese Thoughts record should be coming out soon. So I think that's about it. Oh, my God, <laughs> that sounds so amazing. Um, and let our callers know. I'm still pulling up the file. I got what you sent me. And I have what Lord sent me. And so it looks like, wait, what is the name of it? Not one more. There we go. Oh, it looks like we might be able to play it. Okay, so while I'm doing that, give your, where can people find you? Where can they book you? Go. Okay, so um, you can get on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash chase official, C-H-A-S-E official. Um, Or you can get on my YouTube, youtube.com slash Garrett Monroe. Uh, two R's, two T's, and my Twitter, at Miss Sydney Chase, M-I-S-S-S-I-D-N-E-Y-C-H-A-S-E. Uh, and also, I guess you can get on my HuffPost, too, and look me up on Google for that. So. Where can they buy the music? Oh, uh, the music is on Bandcamp. It should be available on iTunes soon. 
Um, everything is on its way out. Uh, you can get music on my SoundCloud. Um, but yes, sydneychase.bandcamp.com. You can get my new album, The Girl in the Gold Mask, 12 songs, uh, deluxe edition coming soon. Um, and also new music videos coming soon as well for the, for some new songs off the CD. I'm really excited about. I am so excited too. It looks like the song is queued up. I just got to see where is it? It's here. So we're going to play the song. Give our audience, um, thank you so much for doing this, Sydney. You were amazing. It's been a fabulous interview. I just want to let you know, um, I know we didn't get to talk about it, but Briefly tell folks sort of how you came across me this year um, and the Kitty Bella Show. Um, talk about the, the quickly, the, the names, the 2015 Yeah, so I, I, uh, I did this, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I did this piece called 10 Trans Names You Should Know in 2015, and I reached out to another very talented writer named Jamie, uh, who was writing some pieces for the Huffington Post, and I asked him if he, you know, had some suggestions, and he gave me some names. Um, and yours, your name was one of them, uh, Lord Dashley Hunter. He just gave me all these phenomenal names of, you know, trans women of color. And when I actually got to do these interviews, I set up to do ten interviews one by one of trans people all over the world of all these different experiences. And um, every single interview just taught me so much. I'd done nothing but learn from all of these women, everyone over at Trans Women of Color. Uh, collective have been nothing but just a source of education and inspiration and, and light for me, um, you know, and learning how to carry on my journey uh, as an intersectional feminist and as uh, as a comrade and uh, and to you know keep keep doing the thing and um, so Katrina uh, I, I interviewed and you know right away I mean we just clicked and everyone all all the people right. I interviewed we just clicked and. Um, ever since then, you know, we've been we've been talking about getting together and doing this, and now we're here. We are. We finally did it, and it was amazing. And I I can't wait to do more Katie Bella in the future. Oh my God! Thank you so much. This has been so amazing. Can you just tell our audience before you go, Sydney, a little bit about this ending song I'm gonna play to close the show out tonight? I will be playing that one more. Tell our audience. Um, the concept behind it, who is in the song, you know, give music credit if you can, and as well as what you did that was so amazing uh, with the proceeds. So um, the song is a very personal song. And, uh, I had woken up to hearing about uh, Amber Walker, or Alicia Walker, rather. Um, and Alicia Walker... Uh, for some reason in her face she looked like one of my own family members like my cousin and it it just sort of broke me down and just started bawling and you know there have been points where I hadn't been sleeping I hadn't been eating it had really been bothering me um, you know that these women were being killed and no one one was doing anything and and I kind of was struggling because you know being a non-black person of color my intersections are you know really unique and for a long time, I, you know, I preached the wrong rhetoric. I, I wanted to get to Kumbaya just like everybody else. But, you know, uh, thanks to T-Walk, I was educated. And thanks to everyone else, you know, 
uh, who have been kind enough to share their experiences with me, um, I was educated and I learned the truth and the reality and the statistical oppression. And I was like, okay, you know, what what can I do to contribute something useful to this conversation? And um, so I, I, you know, just kind of meditated on it and I wrote the song. And as I was going through the song, uh, I was naming these women who had been killed. And, um, you know, I looked into each murder and how they happened. And spending that day um, really just shifted my soul because, uh, you know, knowing like that, that Amber Monroe, I mean, just shot in, in broad daylight. Um, the, the 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 fact that there's there's just zero remorse for the fact that these are human lives um, that matter. So it's funny to me when people say all lives matter, but then where where is your voice on the black trans women being killed? Um, so I felt it was also important to teach other non-black POC and white folks and uh, light-skinned people that they 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 need to be able to speak on these issues. And they need to be able to take accountability and help because it's going to take all of us if we really want to affect change. Um, but at first, that, that's going to start with us taking accountability at home, understanding our place, our privilege, uh, what we have. And that's what this song is about. It's about understanding what we're given and what, what we get every day for these sacrifices and how many black and brown bodies are sacrificed for these things that we love every day and for the gentrified lifestyles that we enjoy. And so, you know, we have to recognize the reality of that when we actually want to engage in active conversations. And that's what I hope that this song would offer. I, want, I wanted it to be a uh, source for people who kept trying to dehumanize and make these murders about themselves and to understand the reality. Um, and I hope that this, you know, offers healing. You know, that, that, that's the big thing, you know. I wanted to heal and I wanted to help because... Right now, we need it. Our, our community is hurting, and we need that healing. And so it starts with accountability and restoration in that, you know. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the show, Sydney. This has just been a powerful interview. And just to reiterate, Sydney, um, the song, Not One More, can be purchased or downloaded through Sydney SoundCloud and through Bandcamp. That's correct? Yes, and all proceeds go to Trans Women of Color Collective New York. Absolutely, and those who don't know, Trans Women of Color Collected is a global organization uh, which is led by a trans woman of color for trans people of color, for everyone, but centers the narratives of trans people of color. I'm on the leadership team um, as well. And so it means a lot to me. You go to www.twocc.us. Sydney, you rock. We are going to close the show with not one more. Thank you so much, Sydney. You have been amazing. Thank you. Take care, my love. Don't hang up. I Thank want you, you to listen in, too. Don't hang up. Listen in, okay? Thank you so much for joining us, guys. This has been an amazing Kitty Bella show. Please go to the Blog Talk page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash the Kitty Bella show and check us out for our upcoming episodes. We have much more in store, much more amazing interviews. Pour into this work at PayPal. You can support the work of the Kitty Bella Show if you like what you hear, if you love the loving space that we've created, if you love the affirming space that has been bestowed for your feasting. Pour into this work at PayPal, <laughs> kittydroid2011 at gmail.com. And without further ado, not one more. Until next time, peace, love. <laughs>
maybe some hair grease. Love you.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.